promises become more important when you need them. You've probably had the experience as a parent that you tell your kids you're going to do something at some time in the future, and at some inopportune moment, your child wants to do that thing you talked about. And they say, let's go, let's go right now. And you say, well, now's not a good time. I'm tired, or maybe tomorrow. And what does your kid say? But you promised. You promised. You know, promises are not a big deal until we realize we really need them. They become a bigger deal, a more precious commodity in our times of need. Well, we're going to look at a circumstance that Paul uh, faced that called for him to remember God's promise to him. And so keeping that in mind, look with me in Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, as we continue our study through this wonderful New Testament book. Acts chapter 23. I'd ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, we'll be in verse 1. Acts 23, verse 1. Wonderful time of worship. Did you enjoy that? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Amen. I love my church family, and uh, what, a, what a blessing to be a part of that. The little echo part near the end when Travis was singing and you were echoing back, I got a, a confession. I was singing the Travis part with him. So if it sounded especially powerful, that was, that's what it was. Uh, sometimes Travis needs a little help, and so I, I jumped in there with him. All right, Acts chapter 23. Verse 1, the Bible says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Look what it says down in verse 10. When the dissension at this trial became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we give you glory. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. And Lord, our passion is your renown. Lord, we want people in Hernando to hear the good news of Jesus Christ so they can see you more clearly and come to know you personally. Lord, we want people all around this world who are lost and in their sins and worshiping false gods to hear the good news of Jesus Christ so they can give you the worship that you alone deserve. God, we want you to be glorified here in our midst this morning as we look in your word. So accompany the preaching of your word with the power of your spirit that our eyes might be opened, that we might have, Lord, our our hearts stirred to obey and to respond to what you show us. So have your way in our midst. Again, Lord, all for your glory. And we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We see at the very beginning of this chapter that Paul finds himself in a trial, and we get some insight as to why he's in a trial at the end of chapter 22. So look in verse 30, the last verse of the previous chapter. 
the context here is this. Paul had been taken into custody by the Roman soldiers because a Jewish mob who had been whipped into a frenzy by the Jewish religious leaders had seized Paul and were about to tear him limb from limb. And the Roman soldiers who had the job of keeping order in the city of Jerusalem, here there's a disturbance. They show up and they see this mob, they see Paul, and they rescue Paul from the mob. But they don't understand why this mob is so incensed at him. So in verse 30 of chapter 22 it says, On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews... He uh, unbound him. This is the leader of the Roman soldiers. He unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So this Roman soldier says, I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to know why he is being accused, why this mob wants to tear him limb from limb. So he gathers the religious leaders and he brings Paul in for this trial to see what the charges are so he can discern what to do with Paul because he found out that Paul's a Roman citizen. So he wants to treat him properly so he doesn't get in trouble. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter 23. Paul is brought into the council. Now chapter 23 uh, really shows us some different difficulties that Paul encounters. As a matter of fact, in this chapter we want to see two things that Paul came face to face with. First of all, Paul uh, found himself in intimidating situations. Let me share with you three situations that Paul found himself in. First of all, a trial. Verse 1 it says, looking intensely at the council, Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So he's defending himself before this trial. Look what he says in verse 6. Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So Paul is being tried and the stakes are high because Paul understands these religious leaders want him dead. They, they want him to cease speaking of Jesus Christ. They believe the preaching of Jesus and the gospel would undermine the roots of their religious tradition. And so they wanted Paul dead. And so the stakes of this trial are very, very high. You can imagine how intimidating it would be to have all of these, these religious leaders looking down upon you, uh, trying to find a reason to kill you. So the first intimidating situation is a trial. The second one is this, an assassination attempt. Look what happens in verse 12 after the trial ends and the Roman soldiers again rescue him. It says, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near And you thought you were having a bad day. Forty folks make an oath. We're not going to eat until Paul is dead. These guys were serious. An assassination plot is forming so they can take Paul out. So he is experiencing this circumstance. And, And then third, in light of intimidating situations, Paul faces prison. At the end of all of this, Paul is shipped off to Caesarea where the Roman soldiers believe he will be more safe. And when he gets to Caesarea, Felix, the governor, spends some time trying to discern what's going on with this Roman citizen named Paul. And Felix, not knowing really what to do with him, throws him in prison. Look what it says in verse 35. He says, I will give you a hearing 
when your accusers arrive. He commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. And so this Roman appointed governor throws Paul in prison. And chapter 24, verse 27 tells us Paul was in that prison for more than two years. So Paul's facing some tough stuff. A a trial by people who wanted him dead. You might say a mockery of a trial. He's facing assassination plots and attempts, and he is facing prison in this chapter. Intimidating situations. But not only does Paul face intimidating situations, Paul faces wicked people. Wicked people. Let me show you two wicked people that Paul encounters. First of all, Ananias the high priest. Look what it says in verse 1. Paul looks at the council and says, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. This is his opening line. And look what happens. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Not just hit him, but hit him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall speak, not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so we see Paul is facing Ananias, the high priest. He's not a nice guy. Ananias has Paul struck on the mouth. Now let me tell you a little bit about Ananias, the high priest. He was a wicked man. Warren Wearsby writes this. Ananias was indeed one of the most corrupt men ever to be named high priest. He stole tithes from the other priests and did all he could to increase his authority. He was known as a brutal man who cared more for Rome's favor than for Israel's welfare. So he was a religious leader, but he liked to play politics. And he liked to curry favor with Rome, who was really in charge of that area. And he was despised by the Jewish people. And and Paul calls him on his behavior. He says, you're a whitewashed wall. That's a way of saying, you're a hypocrite. Your religious veneer is covering an evil heart. And he calls him a whitewashed wall. But then he says this to him. Paul says, you strike me, God's going to strike you. Now listen, that was a prophetic statement. Because in 66 AD, some Jewish rebels um, rebelled against the Roman Empire. And they led an insurgency against Roman control over that area. And so, because they believed that Ananias, the high priest, uh, was um, currying favor with Rome and uh, was uh, on Rome's side, was sympathetic with Rome, they sought to kill him, and Ananias had to flee for his life. And these Jewish rebels found him hiding in an aqueduct at Herod's palace. And guess what? These Jewish rebels killed Ananias, the high priest. And so, just like Paul said, God's going to strike you. And God did strike him. He was an evil, wicked man. But he was not the only wicked man that Paul faces in chapter 23. He also faces Felix the governor. Felix the governor. Now, I told you there was an assassination plot forming against Paul. But look what happens in verse 16. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, uh, uh, and Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell you. So this is Paul's nephew, and somehow he hears about this assassination attempt and gets word to Paul, and Paul says, hey, go and tell the Romans. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, so he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, 
the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. And he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride, bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. And we see the letter written to Felix the governor from this tribune named Claudius Lysias. And so the plot is uncovered uh, by Paul's sister's son, and they get word to the tribune, and the tribune decides it's too dangerous in Jerusalem for Paul. Let's get him to Caesarea, about 60 miles away, where he will be safe from this plot. So trying to figure out what to do with him, but they know they didn't want him killed by these assassins. And so uh, he has him shipped over to Caesarea, and he meets with Felix the governor. We see this interaction between them uh, in this chapter and in the next chapter. Now, Felix the governor, again, was not a nice man. Felix the governor was a wicked man. He was the Roman-appointed governor of Judea, of that area. He was married to Drusilla, and Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. Now, it's easy to get your Herods confused. Herod Agrippa I is the Herod we read about in chapter 12 of Acts. Uh, He was the one that had uh, James, the brother of John, killed uh, because he was a follower of Christ. And Herod Agrippa I was the one who was eaten by worms at the end of chapter 12 because he would not give glory to God. And so he met a bitter end. But he was uh, a wicked man. His, his, uh, sister, or his daughter, Drusilla, was married to Felix, uh, the governor. The Roman historian Tacitus said this about Felix, the governor. He exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. Felix was called a vulgar ruffian by many in that time, and he lived up to that name. Felix the governor was a wicked man. So Paul finds himself facing Ananias the high priest. Then he finds himself facing Felix the governor. So in this this passage, in this chapter, Paul encounters intimidating situations and wicked people. Now, Does that have any bearing on our lives? Is this just some history from the first century that really means nothing to us? Well, I think you and I have a lot in common with Paul because you and I, we face and will increasingly face intimidating situations as Christ followers and wicked people. That's going to happen more and more as we follow Christ in a rapidly decaying culture. So I believe in the coming days, you and I are going to find more and more in common with Paul. This world is a dangerous place for Christians. Do you hear I just said? This world is a dangerous place for Christians. As a matter of fact, in January of 2016, CNN wrote an article about persecution against Christians. And did you know that 2015 saw the highest rate of persecution against Christians in history? 2015. And so persecution, intimidation, hostility, danger for Christians is a reality in our time. This is not just first century stuff. These are things we encounter in today's time. So keeping that in mind, because we face some of the same things Paul faced, I want to give you three things you can count on 
when you experience difficulty for the sake of Christ. That, all that other stuff was just introduction. Now it's time for the message. You ready? Some of you are thinking, oh no. But three things that you and I can count on when we experience difficulty for the sake of Christ. Number one, you can count on the reality that God will give you the courage to stand. When you find yourself in intimidating situations, when you find yourself in the the presence of wicked people who are opposed to the gospel of Christ and the Jesus you follow, you can count on the reality that God will give you the courage to stand. I love verse 1 of chapter 23. Look what it says. He's in this council and it says, Looking intently at the council, Paul said. So Paul stands up in this very, very difficult uh, situation and Paul stands straight and Paul looks these wicked religious leaders in the eye and he speaks, listen, truth to power. That's not easy. But Paul's doing it here and he's doing it because God is giving him the courage to stand. And and through the remainder of the book of Acts, Paul finds himself before all these different kings and rulers, even gets over to Rome to appear before Caesar himself. And yet Paul consistently bears witness of the truth of Jesus Christ and he stands strong and he looks people in the eye and tells people the truth. Courage to stand. Now that courage to stand when you're facing hostility comes from God. It comes from God. And here's what I want you to understand. A moment of persecution can become a platform for the gospel. Let me say it again. A moment of persecution can become a platform for the gospel. As the heat is turned up on Christians in our land, as it becomes increasingly difficult to stand for Jesus Christ here in our nation, and we are facing very, very intimidating situations, we're going to have a message to share with a lost and dying world. Because people want to hear what Christians have to say as they are being marginalized. What are you going to say about Jesus when no one wants you to talk about Jesus? What what are you going to say about Jesus when you are going to pay a price for talking about Jesus? And when we speak truth in those situations, it will it will capture our society's attention. A moment of persecution can become a platform for the gospel. When God called me into the ministry, I was in my final year of college, and I, I needed to learn some stuff. I felt like I was woefully behind the curve, and, and I knew that God was leading me to pastoral ministry, and I just felt unprepared. So I went to the Christian bookstore, and I bought a Holman Bible Dictionary, still have it on my shelf today, love that book. And I just had my Bible, my Bible Dictionary, and I just poured over that thing and learned so much from that Bible Dictionary. And I also bought a little book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I began to read these accounts of church history martyrdom uh, of people that had been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ through, uh, through the decades. And it, they were compelling stories, not just because of the intensity of the persecution they faced, the, the deaths that they, uh, that they endured. What made these accounts so compelling uh, was the, the opportunities these believers had to speak truth at their time of death. And some of these speeches, right before they die, these, these Christian leaders, some of the speeches are amazing as right at the time of their death, when everyone's watching, everyone's listening, they bear witness to Christ. 
They look people in the eyes, and with great courage, they speak truth to power. And I read that book, and it was just compelling to see the courage of these Christians standing in the face of great intimidation. So listen to me. When you face, when you experience difficulty for the sake of Christ, God will give you the courage to stand. Number two, when you experience difficulty for the sake of Christ, God will give you the words to say. Look what happens in verse 6. This is fascinating. He's standing before this council made up of religious leaders from two religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look what happens in verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him away from among them by force, and bring him into the barracks. Paul knew this trial was a bad deal because he knew that they were going toward a verdict of guilty so they could kill him. So Paul needed to get out of this trial. And in a moment of genius, Paul brings up a theological issue that divided the two parties present, the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees were anti-supernaturalists. They didn't believe in anything supernatural, angels or demons or resurrection or eternity in heaven. They didn't believe in any of that. And, and because of that, they uh, were offended by any talk of resurrection. Well, the Pharisees did believe there was a future resurrection from the dead. So Paul throws out there, hey, I'm on trial because I talked about a resurrected Jesus. And in light of the fact of my my relationship with Jesus, I'll be resurrected one day. And and there is a future resurrection. And the Pharisees saying, yeah, there is a future resurrection. No, there's not. And they started to fight. And it became so violent that Paul was about uh, almost torn to pieces. But the Roman soldier said, get him out of here. And they removed him from the trial and took him to a safe place. I believe that Paul said exactly what he needed to say to be rescued from this trial. He knew if he said that, that it would cause dissension and he would not have to go through this trial any longer. And so what's happening here? Paul says exactly the right thing at the right moment. And guess what? That came from God. That wisdom came from God. And here's what you can rely upon. If you find yourself in an intimidating situation, God will always give you the words to say. In fact, turn over to Luke chapter 21. I'm going to show you what Jesus says about this. Really surprising verses. Luke chapter 21, verse 10. Then he said to them, Jesus speaking, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, talking about the end time scenario, before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. So Jesus is telling his followers 
They would encounter difficulty for his sake, for his name. They'd be brought before kings and before governors and thrown into prison. Listen to what he says in verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Your persecution will be a platform. And then he says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So Jesus says, hey, listen, you're going to stand before some very powerful people for my name's sake. Don't try to envision what you're going to say in those moments. Don't do that, he says. Just understand that when you find yourselves in those moments, I will give you the words to say. The Spirit of God will work through you. So you say exactly what you need to say, exactly when you need to say it. In other words, in a moment of intimidation, you can count on his inspiration. Say it again. In a moment of intimidation, you can count on his inspiration. If you find yourself facing hostility for the name of Christ... You can count on the fact that God will give you the words to say right when you need to say them. There's a third thing here that you can count on. God will give you the courage to stand and God will give you the words to say, but third, Jesus will be with you. Look what happens back in Acts 23, verse 11. Paul's in custody with the Roman soldiers no question, he's downcast and despondent. The Jew, Jews wanted him dead. The Roman soldiers didn't know what to do with him. He would soon face assassination plots, and stand before a Roman-appointed governor. I mean, he's in a very difficult situation. Look what it says in verse 11. The following night, after he was rescued from the trial, rescued from being torn to pieces, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so the Lord stands by him. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like, but we know that Jesus manifested his presence uh, with Paul. So Paul knew Jesus was there, and he spoke to him and says, Don't be afraid. Take courage. You're going to make it to Rome to preach before Caesar. And so in Paul's moment of despondency, in Paul's moment of despair, Jesus simply reminds him, Paul, I'm right here. I'm with you. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm standing right beside you. And you and I can take comfort and courage in the fact that no matter what we face here in this life for the sake of Jesus, Jesus will be standing right beside us. Now we see this all through Paul's ministry. Let me show you several areas uh, or times in Paul's ministry that Jesus reminded him of his presence. When Paul's life was in danger in Jerusalem, Jesus was there. After Paul was saved, he came to Jerusalem early on and was rejected by the church. Uh, but Barnabas helped him to be accepted by the church. But then some folks began to plot for uh, Paul's death and, and, and Paul needed to leave Jerusalem. So look what Paul recounts in Acts 22 verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. So when Paul's life was in danger, Jesus was there saying, Get out of town. When Paul experienced opposition in the city of Corinth, Jesus was there. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11, 
The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. When Paul was in the middle of a great storm, which we'll get to in a few weeks, Jesus was there. Acts 27, 22-25. Paul speaking to his companions on the ship because they were in a storm for days and days and thought they were going to perish. And Paul says this, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. It will be exactly as I've been told. So in the middle of a great storm, he thought he was going to perish. God sent an angel to say, don't be afraid. You're going to live. He reminded him of his presence. And when Paul was in prison and on trial in Rome, Jesus was there. 2 Timothy four sixteen and 17, Paul writes, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Even when he was in Rome, getting ready to face Caesar himself, the Lord reminds him of his presence. It says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So all throughout Paul's ministry, at key moments, when he's facing very difficult situations, Jesus reminds him, Paul, I'm right here. I'm right here. Now here's what I want to to, kind of really summarize for you this morning. Paul's ministry, as we read about in the book of Acts, Paul's ministry illustrates the incredible promise of the Great Commission. All of this, all we just read about, it, it, it illustrates, is an illustration of the incredible promise of the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission? Some of the last words Jesus spoke before he ascended to the Father. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So Jesus promises in the Great Commission, as you go forth for my name, even though you may go through some deep water, you need to remember that I will be with you. And Paul's ministry is an illustration. Acts 23 is an illustration that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. That's what this chapter is all about. Paul's ministry illustrates the incredible promise of the Great Commission. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus will never leave you. His presence is unfailing. Even when you're facing intimidating situations or wicked people, Jesus will be there. Now listen to me. Promises become much more important when we need them. We don't think a lot about promises until we need that promise, right? Your kids don't think about the promise you made until they want to go. You promised mom and dad, right? Can I tell you this? In the coming days, in America, there's going to be a price to pay for following Jesus. It's happening and it's going to continue to happen in an ever-increasing way as we stand by the truth of God's word 
sharing Christ in love with our decaying culture, there is going to be a price to pay. And in those moments, we will need to remember this promise. Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. Just like Jesus was with Paul in the prison, Jesus will be with me. If there's a price to pay at my workplace, if there's a price to pay at my school, if there's a price to pay with a family member because I am following Christ, I can remember that Jesus is there. Even if everyone else abandons me and forsakes me, even though it may look bleak, Jesus has promised he will never leave. He's standing right beside me. He's there with me every step of the way. And you and I are going to need to remember this promise of Jesus' unfailing presence in the coming days. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm not trying to just kind of provoke some sort of response. I'm your pastor, and I love you. And I believe one of my, one of my roles as your pastor in these coming days is to prepare you for what's coming. Things have changed more rapidly in the last four years than I ever dreamt possible. It is amazing the pace of change in our culture and Christians are being marginalized. And the, the, the ultimate goal is to intimidate Christians into silence. Now, look at me. Look at me. For obedient followers of Christ, silence is not an option. We can't just say, well, my faith is going to be a private matter. We are called to share truth and grace with a decaying culture. And it's going to be hard. But I believe as the heat is turned up on Christians, those who are not the real deal are going to fall by the wayside. And those who are genuine followers of Christ will speak truth to power. And the church will have power like it's never seen in America. I believe that day is coming. But it's going to take courage. It's going to take resolve. We're going to have to stand up and look into people's eyes and tell them the truth. And it's going to be hard. There's going to be a price to pay. But hear your pastor say, the Bible tells us Jesus will be there. Right beside us. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. We can cling to that promise. And so here's the point I want you to walk away with. When we encounter intimidating situations and wicked people, we can find comfort in the presence of Jesus. We can find comfort in the presence of Jesus. Now is not the time for retreat. Now is the time for us to march forward, holding the banner of Jesus Christ high. Now is the time for the church to be salt in our decaying society. Now is the time for the church to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ as the darkness overwhelms our nation and overwhelms our world. We must let our light shine. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But Jesus will be there. Amen? He'll never leave us nor forsake us.